You're listening to another episode of the Well Woman Healthy Lifestyle podcast, episode number 28. And today I had the great pleasure of interviewing Christine Egan. She's a healthy living advocate, the author of The Healthy Girl's Guide to Breast Cancer, and part owner of the non-toxic cosmetic brand Life on Mars Beauty. She ran a half marathon after ending 33 radiation treatments and a full marathon to celebrate her remission. Today she leads the hashtag Redefining Healthy movement, teaching women around the world how to feel healthy in their bodies now, not after losing 15 pounds, not after finishing cancer treatments, or not after quitting their dead-end jobs, but doing it now. Christine is a regular on News 12, has appeared on Fox News, as well as in Yoga Journal, Better Homes and Garden, and Live Happy Magazine. She's also given talks for major running brands such as New Balance. Christine lives on Long Island, New York with her husband and three children. She can be found at www.redefining-healthy.com. So please put your hands together and give a warm welcome to our guest today, Miss Christine Egan. Well, women, it's time for a new perspective on women's health. A time to understand that your greatest wealth is your health. A time to make self-care your number one priority. A time to recognize that good health is the only way to live your best life and do all that you can in this world. So join me on this journey where we'll explore women's health topics from a medical provider's viewpoint. Have conversations about everyday healthy lifestyle options and enjoy interviews with other well women we can all learn from. It's time to demystify women's health and learn practical ways to apply self-care to every part of our lives. This is the Well Woman Lifestyle Podcast, and I'm your host, Michelle Broad, certified women's and adult nurse practitioner, daughter, wife, mother, and all-out women's health enthusiast. So you ready to start the journey? Let's go. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome back to another episode. And today we have a really special guest. Well, all of our guests are special. That's what we have to say over here at Well Woman. So today we are interviewing Christine Egan, and I'm really excited about this because she is, like you heard in the intro, she is the author of The Healthy Girl's Guide to Breast Cancer. So today we are going to be taking a journey and looking at her experience with breast cancer and talking about her book and all things fun. But before that, I have to let you know, two ladies, again, my lawyer, we have to let you know that all the information that we share here on the podcast and anywhere that we put out information is for informational purposes only. We are not your doctor, so anything that we talk about today in the podcast, if there's things that you want to investigate that Christine has tried or that she talks about, then you need to explore that as yourself and talk it over with your medical provider. Okay, so let's dive in. So, Ms. Christine, where are you today? I am on Long Island, New York, right outside of the city. Uh, I could see the beach from my house, and maybe when we're done here, I'll head over there. Oh, that sounds, oh, God. I'm envious and I'm jealous because <laughs> we have, you know, in California here, we've had a heat wave, and it is yeah. crazy. So I am so thankful today, yesterday and today in the mornings, it's been kind of overcast. So because normally when I do these interviews, I'm sitting here sweating <laughs> and like miserable because I can't turn my fan on and we can't have the AC going because you hear it in the mic. That's right. So it's like, I'm like, oh my God, maybe doing interviews in the summertime was a bad idea. Maybe I need to do this in the wintertime. But anyway, today's overcast. So it's at least only like 80. It's not too hot yet. So it'll get that way in the afternoon. 
Well, we're coming to the end. I know that this is going live relatively soon, but the idea is that we're at the end of July and July is just such a perfect month um, for most people. Like it's the height of the summer and it's the height of uh, being outside and being in the sun and being able to see the sunrise and the sunset. And I'm really, really, really trying to take full advantage of that this summer. Um, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm with you in my mind. Okay. I'm picturing myself there in the Zen space in the beach. That's because, right. Yeah. It's like where I live, we don't have seasons. It's hot and then it's cold. There's like <laughs> no in between. You go from it being freezing to it being 110 out. And mm. we've, we've been having 110. I live, you know, just down the hill from Idlewild. So I don't know if you've seen on the news. I don't, yes. Um, and we've had huge fires in Idlewell. One of my dear, dear friends, um, her, the fire came within 10 feet of her home. I mean, her, she was just showing pictures the other day. So it's been crazy and we can smell it all down the hill. It's just been nasty. So yes, you know, we'd like a little bit of rain, but you know, I doubt that's going to happen. But it's So I will enjoy the outdoors for you today. Yes. For anybody please. else who's listening, I will take <laughs> it in for everybody. Absolutely. So, Okay. I scanned the book last night. I'm sorry, but I really did enjoy it. And I actually got through quite, quite a number of pages, but I want to talk like each one of those you talked about. I want to start with your before your cancer story. Yeah. So we're talking about in your book, one of the top, one of the chapters, and we're going to share ladies with you, all the resources that you can, where you can get her book is you went from grilled cheese to grilled veggies. Yeah. So I was reading that and I really liked that about your, you started to get into this health thing because of a roommate that you were living with Daniela. Yes. So, so kind of tell me a little bit about, you know, your before your journey of getting healthy and, you know, what it looked like and kind of like where it led during that part of your life. Yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up here on Long Island and I think for most, I mean, I'm 50. So I think most of the people that grew up in my time period, like my, my mom cooked us a meal, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't something that I would serve my family now. Like iced tea was like the drink that we always drank. It was like that powdered stuff that you mix in the big container. And we always had, um, I like to say like uh, packaged uh, snacks and desserts always in the house and chips. Not to say that we never have that stuff in the house now. Uh, let me say that we do, but it's, you know, a rare occasion, but we do have, you know, snacks. Um, and when I was in college, I ate grilled cheese every single day. And um, there was a Dairy Queen by my college and we never had a Dairy Queen here on Long Island. So I became, I was known as the Dairy Queen because I would go every day and I would get like this swirled um, vanilla, uh, like custard cone with the, the dipped in like a chocolate or a strawberry with this crunchy stuff on the top. And I like would have that pretty much every day. And I didn't think much of it, honestly, because it wasn't all that different from being at home. I mean, it would be something comparable that I would eat at home. And mind you, I was not overweight. Like, you know, I was still weighing like 100, 110 pounds. Um, it just was what I did. I just... I was crave. I guess I just craved that dairy. I was just always attracted to the cheese and the milk. Um, and then it wasn't until I graduated college and wound up sharing a house with a girl from Italy. And I, this is no joke. When she was talking about making a cake from scratch, I thought that meant like from a box, like as opposed to buying a cake. I thought it meant like a Duncan Hines or a Betty Crocker box that you would buy at the supermarket and then add the eggs and the oil 
and that was meant from scratch. And she's like, no, 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 like you add flour and sugar. I seriously had no idea that that's what scratch meant. And the same for vegetables. I didn't know that vegetables came from anywhere other than a can or the frozen packet in the freezer. So it wasn't until I was on my own that I really started experimenting with eating whole foods and just becoming just a healthier individual. Um, and then that led into other things. Then I became, uh, you know, I had my kids were born at home. We grew our own food. You know, we have a huge garden on our front lawn. We belong to the community supported agriculture from like 20 years ago um, from a local organic farmer. Like things in my life just changed dramatically once I started changing the food that we were eating. And then I became a certified health coach and we're helping other women in my community uh, connect to what it means to be connected to whole foods and cook healthy for themselves. So in turn, their family would be healthy. That was really my health story. And, you know, I was a healthy person from like my twenties on, uh, you know, it was really those younger years of just eating crappy foods. Yeah, no, I had a laugh when you, when you were talking about that Duncan Hines story. That was, I thought, <laughs> no, because, you know, we all think that way. And, you know, it surprises me because there's so much education out there today and there's so much on the internet and everywhere that people still like kind of are in the dark with this. And I think because we're only taught or we're only shown in the mass media and stuff what the unhealthy people want us to know, you know, not yeah. Stuff. So you kind of don't know. And right now I'm with you. I really am healthy. I'm, I'm probably at the healthiest point in my life. But like when I was having kids, I was healthy. I mean, not that I wasn't, but if I had known back then all the stuff that I had known now, yes. I would, I would have done things differently, you know, yeah. but it's, it's all good because you live and you learn. And now the more that I'm healthy, my kids, like, I'm sure that your kids are seeing it. And, you know, like my daughter and my son are both on that health journey. My son just, yes. you know, he just, he's, he's a vegetarian. My daughter's a, a vegan along with me for health reasons that we're both going down this journey and studying those different things. So, you know, it did brush off. I thought that they probably weren't listening, you know, yeah, <laughs> and they it definitely did. are. And yeah. then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I kind of see this. And so my daughter follows along my son too. So I'm really proud of them. Yeah. So, yeah. And then. You know, I was also reading, and I didn't know this because I have a lot of friends that went to IIN as well, uh -huh. and I just love the school and everything. And I was reading in your the book that you wrote about their philosophy, and I didn't really didn't know that this was their philosophy. But I just so love it, so I'm just going to read it here, and then I want yeah. to just talk about that a little bit too. You said that his that his philosophy was the foods you eat are secondary, and I'm reading off my notes here. Sorry, uh -huh. all things that you that you feed yourself. Okay. And like you're, you're feeding your family and your soul, your family, your career exercise and spirituality. And, you know, I just, and as I was reading through your book and looking at your website and just kind of resonating with all the same stuff, you know, you do self-care on self-care, we do all that kind of good stuff. I try to talk to my patients about this a lot. And I think that as women or as people as a whole, and in the Western medical practices, which what I do for, you know, during the day, but my alternative stuff's on the side is that we don't look at people as a whole. You know, we That's have right. people come in and we treat them, you know, women are their breast and their vaginas and, yes. and that's it. And yeah. if you come in for a headache, we just address the headache, here's your pills, get out. We don't have, and I'll be honest, in defense of medicine, we just don't have the time. I mean, I, that's I, right. I'm seeing 25 to 30 patients a day. And maybe I'm lucky if I see, if I get 15 minutes per patient. Yes. And the population that I'm serving is very sick. 
So, you know, I'm usually dealing with four problems, you know, in 15 minutes. So we don't have the chance to explore, but this point, you know, I want you to talk about it too, because I want yeah. to talk about it from your, from a personal perspective as a woman and a woman who's yeah. gone through the cancer journey and talk to the women who listen to this, because it's nice for them to hear from somebody else other than me. Because I, I reiterate this every podcast and everywhere that I go that, you know, you are a totality of all the things that are around you and about you. Yeah. So we are our, you know, our relationships. We are our career. So yes. it's, you are unhappy at work and then you come home and you're unhappy. That makes us toxic inside. That's right. And well, so I was just going to say, you know, we we're talking about food before and, you know, food is just one part of the equation, right? And my line is we could eat all the broccoli and kale in the world, but if we're coming home to a lousy relationship and going to a job that we hate every single day, then that kale and broccoli does us no good. Yes. Because it, it, it's everything. It's a complete circle. It's not just one part of, um, it's not just the thing. Diet isn't just the thing. And actually diet is usually the last thing that I address with people because we, I, we all know what we should be eating. We all know there is no excuse for anybody to assume that eating fast food five days a week or seven days a week for more than one meal is you know, a great thing to do. No, we all know we need more greens. We all know we need more fruits and vegetables. And we all know we need less meat. Like that, I, I could pull anybody off the street and they could tell us that. But when we have, when we start taking the self-care and we start putting ourselves first, then we're, we're able to make smarter decisions about the food that we put in our body. So I like to say that that diet part really comes last when we're dealing with helping somebody out of a chronic illness situation, because we really need to put in the self-care so that the better food choices then become easier. Yeah. And, and talk to me too, because you said in the book too, that this was before when you were going on your journey before the cancer thing, when you were living, um, you know, when you were learning from Daniela and all getting healthier you mm -hmm. said that as you started getting healthy in your body, okay, mm -hmm. this that you started seeing the unhealthy aspects in all part of your life. So yeah. talk, to, talk to me about that because I really, again, you know, that stresses that, you know, when you, when you start becoming, how do I want to say it? Like when you're unhealthy here, cause I just, I just recorded a podcast number 23 people want to listen is your thoughts are a reflection of your life. So talk to me about that. Yeah, it goes back to exactly what I was just talking about, where when you start changing one thing in your life and you start feeling comfortable with it, then your eyes are like wide open to other things and how they're reacting with your body. So once I started like realizing that I had been just putting like crap into my body and then just, it wasn't like all of a sudden I was like, ah, now I'm eating fruits and vegetables. No, it was, what am I exposed to? How does that taste? That tastes really good. I'm going to eat that again. And then I started realizing, listen, I'm putting in all these hours at work for no real reason and started realizing like my friends, all we were doing was hanging out and drinking after work, you know, like going to a happy hour, like way too much. And then the close relationships that I was having, it just, my eyes were open to where I was lacking true health and exercise, feeling good about myself not turning to alcohol for a happy hour for socialization. Um, I just thought that that's what was expected. 
I just thought that that's what people in their early 20s did. Like they just went out to happy hour and they just ate crap and they just hung out with their friends. And I just wasn't exposed to another way, which was you can be healthy. You could go out on runs with friends. You can go on hikes with friends. You can go to yoga with friends. Like there are many things to do other than going to happy hour after work. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, you know, that we, I talk about that too, you know, you have to start structuring in and when it talks about self-care and you were talking about this too, and we'll get back to that because that was, I know, a big part of, of your life and, and the book and afterward the journey is that you just have to start incorporating them into your daily habits. And I think that most of us, and especially a lot of women, because you, you can address this too, you know, we're caregivers and we're great at that. And I see women, you know, we take care of our families, you know, I'm taking care of my mom and I've got her on one end, I've got my daughter and my kids on the other and my husband in the middle, you know, and most of us are taking care of so many other things in our lives, our jobs, and, yes. we're, and we're pulled that, you know, we end up on the back burner. And so that's where we stay until all of a sudden, like you, well, I don't know, I don't want to assume anything, but I have a lot of friends who they get that diagnosis of some sort of whatever it may be. And then, oh my God, their eyes are like, oh, wide open and things really start to shift. Yes. And it's so important that we don't have to wait until that point. That's or right. We don't have to wait until we know somebody else who has that to start making little shifts in our life. And we have to do it now. So talk to me about like, I know that you coach women and you're talking to them about, about self-care and you're talking to them about this, about this journey, you know, you know, from your perspective, you know, and having had and, you know, and beating cancer, um, where does the self-care and the daily stuff, you know, how do we start to implement that even, you know, before any of those things happen? Yeah. So let me say that when I wrote this book, the whole idea of writing this book was just getting my thoughts out on paper because I didn't want to forget about what a big part of my life this was. My kids were born at home and I never wrote anything down from their births. And I regretted that. And I didn't want to have that same feeling when it came to writing this book. And the book became something so much bigger than I could ever imagine. And I say that because women need to hear this message. And it's like you said, whether it happens to them or it happens to their friend or they just can relate to the story is that I was healthy before I was diagnosed, but there were things in my life that weren't in alignment. And the thousands of women that I've talked to since my book was published all have the same, they come, they come to hear my story with all the same baggage, for lack of a better term. And it's exactly what you just talked about. It's caring for somebody else. It's caring for kids. It's caring for a husband. It's putting a job first. It's, it's not in alignment of where they want to be in their life. And you know how we were just talking before about, and I said, this is July, like this is July. This is like the best month of the whole year for most people. And if I can't make the time to make every day great in July, when am I going to be able to make every day great? If I can't do it when it's absolutely beautiful out here, when am I going to be able to do it? So it's, it's that kind of mindset of, okay, how, what does it look like to put myself first? I can't take off work a few minutes early and get to this yoga class. I, you know, like I hear the excuses over and over and over. And then I really try to hammer home to people is what would it look like? What would self-care look like to you? Maybe to some people it is 
taking a yoga class. Maybe it means getting to an exercise class. Maybe it means cooking a home-cooked meal instead of going out. Maybe it means sitting quietly for 10 minutes before you leave for the day for work. Or my great examples that people can so relate to is maybe it means driving around the block before I pull into my driveway. Maybe it means just taking that few extra minutes to make a transition time between work and family. Maybe it means sitting quietly in the day for five minutes without my phone. It may mean getting to a karate class or a dance class a few minutes early and sit quietly in the parking lot before, before I'm just rushing in, running late, or just going from activity to activity without intention. It means doing the things in your life that make you feel calm and grounded so that you can be a better mother, be a better caretaker, be a better worker for all those other things. But if you're not filling yourself up first, you can't be those other things. Now, obviously after my cancer diagnosis, you know, when you're sick, only certain things, you know, you only have a certain amount of energy to, to do all the things, right? So my cancer diagnosis was made things really black and white for me. Do I have the energy and the time to put into this or not? So most of the time it was no. Where I spent my energy was with my family. We were cooking. We did a lot of simplicity, simple things. And my life kind of shifted then to just being just a much simpler, not saying yes all the time, a lot of no's. Um, and I think that's where the self-care kicks in. And what I like to say to women is, going to get that massage or go to that yoga class or whatever your one thing is that you're picking to work on self-care, just because you've done it once and you don't see a shift, it doesn't really work like that. I like to describe self-care as a bank account. We do these things, the self-care, the sitting quietly, the pausing throughout the day, the eating the good foods, so like a bank account where it adds up. So that when you miss that yoga class for that week and you realize, you know what? I really feel off this week. I'm really snappy. I'm really crabby. I haven't been myself. Guess what? We're missing that aspect of something that slows us down and keeps us calm. We're missing that self-care. So it's not like you're going to do it and all of a sudden things are going to shift. It's, it's when you build it into your life like a ritual or a routine that that's when you really miss it is when you don't do it. Yeah, no, I, I reiterate that I, you know, Hey, amen. So I'm just totally there with you. So see ladies, it's taking it day by day and it's little things because I think people get so focused on, Oh my God, you know, the big changes and, yes. um, and I need to do this and I can't do that. I hear, I hear excuses all day long, yeah. every day in my practice, out of my practice everywhere. And so, you know, I tell people, you know, if it's important to you, you know, you'll get it done. So find things that are important to you. Yeah. I, when I come home from work, I, I do, I sit in my driveway, literally. And I, I know that's on my phone, but I play a game and my husband will come out and I'll say, I'm just, I'm just sitting out here because it helps me decompress between yes. the job and going into my house and having to talk with my husband and, you know, my son and other things like that. So I just sit out there. I do something mindless 
Mm-hmm. And I also, and I read and people think, oh, because I read mysteries and things. Oh, like you're not reading medical stuff. No, <laughs> I do that enough. I do that all day long. And when I get home, I want to read something mindless that doesn't take a lot of my energy. Yes. You know, I'm just like you, I incorporate little things. I go to the gym, you know, and it's small things that add up over time. You know, like yeah. I love Darren Hardy. He says, you know, you just do small things, the compound effect and, that's it, right. and it leads to great things. So that's right. One I, of my favorite things to do, um, because we, we were talking about like, we all know what we need to be doing, but don't know how to make it fit into yeah. the day. So one of my favorite things to do with women is I like to call it a buffet line. And it's called a buffet line of like our shoulds or buffet line of the things that make us feel healthy. And I have people write down all the things that they know that make them feel healthy. Because like I'd like to say, my version of health isn't your version of health and isn't my neighbor's version of health. So I have women sit down and make a list. What are the things that make them feel healthy? Like for me, it means a run. For me, it means taking my supplements. For me, it means not being on my phone. It means being able to be present with my kids. Like the list goes on. And then we like to treat that as the buffet line. Some days I can do all the things that are on that list. And some days I can do just one. So it's picking one item from that list, my buffet list, and knowing that I'm going to get at least one thing done. Some days I can pick more, but I know I'm at least going to get one thing in. And somehow that takes the pressure off of having to do all the things. And instead we look at it. Okay. Yeah. Yoga is not going to get done today. I wanted to go to yoga class last night, but chose to stay home and be with my kids instead because they were on a break from work. That to me is just as important as being at a class. So even though I didn't get to the yoga class, I still was able to have like this alone quality time with my family. And that to me is just as important. So, you know, what are the things that make you feel healthy? I didn't go on a run today. Instead, I did an exercise class. Um, I didn't ride my bike into town. I didn't have enough time. Um, I haven't been on my phone all day long, which is really good. Um, So I, I do challenge people to do that. And I say challenge lovingly because it's not really something that's difficult. It's something that's really easy that kind of helps us get focused on the things that we want to be doing. And most of us want to feel healthy. Yeah, I, I so agree. And like I say too, and you, and you just reiterate this too, it's like we put down, we do our to do, our to do list for, you know, grocery shopping for our business, things that we want to get done goals and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we need to do that for our own self-care as well. Like put down something, a goal for the day that you want to achieve, because if we don't know where we're heading, you know, we don't know how to go down that path. That's right. Just, I think it's just not goal planning for our health has just not been a common terminology, you know, up to this point, you know, it's like everybody, it's business, business, business. And it's, um, we measure success by business success. We don't, we don't talk about measuring our success you know, from our health perspective as well. And, um, and, and I just think overall, you know, it's just me, my own personal views. I just feel like, you know, our world does not support really for a healthy lifestyle. You know, if you look around and you read and you watch TV, everything is really not, well, a little bit more now so about health, but not really, you know? No, you can watch TV and how many commercials are on there for drugs. I mean, you become, I mean, I've become immune to it because I'm not tuned into that. But if I wasn't and heard this commercial, I would be like, I want this. Like, it's like, it's 
on TV. It's generic enough. They must, you know, she must be taking it. He must be taking it. I should be taking it. Whereas that's not really the norm. Um, yeah, I like, I do. It is interesting you say that because I do feel like I live in a bubble. Um, I think it's a little bit different now for um, like my kids. I, my kids eat really healthy and I don't think that um, like no one makes fun of them for that. Whereas I think in our time, I think people would be like, oh, you know, she's bringing her rabbit food here as opposed to, you know, everybody just having a salad nowadays. So I do think, um, I do, I will admit, I do live in my bubble and I like being in my bubble. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being in my healthy lifestyle bubble where um, I know I'm very tuned into the things that make me feel healthy and happy. And um, speaking of when we were just talking about that, I just read this article yesterday from a good friend of mine who said there's no more FOMO, which is fear of missing out, right? Uh, The FOMO has been replaced with JOMO, J-O-M-O, which is joy of missing out. And I like that reframe of um, learning where to find the joy, focusing on the joy rather than the fear. Fear is like that, oh, that contractive, that um, stress-induced, as opposed to joy, which is more open and more, um, more uh, in control, more powerful than um, fear of. And I, I thought that was really interesting. And maybe that's how to think of events that come up in your life. Or, you know, is this something that's going to bring me joy? Is this something that makes me happy to be with these people, you know, at this barbecue? Or is this something that I really would be, you know, happier being at the beach saying no? Yeah, I, 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 I totally understand just because, you know, from the perspective, the reason that I did that, the episode on um, your thoughts are, you know, a reflection of your life is because I just recently um, retired, mm-hmm. um, hanging up my stethoscope on September 18th is my last day. So I'm kind of excited about that for the most part, just because I, I put out there how I have to practice. I love what I do. I love practicing medicine, but how I have to do it, I don't exactly love how I have to do it anymore. And it's because, you know, it just does not align with my integrity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's, it's a sad thing to say, and I'll be honest, but I can speak for myself because I'm speaking as my own, being a medical provider myself. I don't speak for other medical providers or whatnot, but I feel that a large part of my job and my day is I have to lie to people because you cannot speak the truth and tell people, um, like if they come in and they have, you know, abdominal pain, all this, well, okay, first of all, we don't talk to people about their diet and everything, and you can't tell people or say to people, you know, part of this issue that you're having is brought on by yourself. Because I know from my end that, you know, 85% of things that I see in my practice every day, and I'm sure you probably, you might see this too from your perspective, is self-inflicted. We bring it on ourselves. But, you know, you can't say that because in the medical community, you know, in practicing, it's not medically correct to tell people those type of things. I have patients who like get offended, you know, with the word fatty liver, you know, you get the diagnosis and you have a non-alcoholic fatty liver and I'm telling them this and they're like, what do you mean I'm fat? I'm like, um, no, your liver is fat. Okay. And explain to you what that means and they get offended. And, you know, you have to be careful because I have, you can't tell people you're obese. And yeah, I don't like that word and that terminology either, but I think at some point for me, 
in my truth, like you're speaking of, you know, and how to be happy for me finally at the stage of the game is I have to speak my truth. And I truly believe, you know, that as women, we need to be healthy and love ourselves for who we are at every stage of the game. Yeah. And I'm also going in that same sentence, tell you that being 350 pounds is not healthy. Right. Um, and I have to be able to speak that truth and I cannot speak that truth, yeah. you know, wearing a, wearing a lab coat. Yeah. But the other sad part of that story is, you know, our um, medical community, you know, so many people will automatically go for prescription instead of, I like to, these are my three things. Are you exercising? Are you meditating? And are you eating whole foods? So when women, you know, come to me and I, I do a lot of post-cancer work with women and um, I hear, I know what the fear is. I know, like I get all that part. But when you're not sleeping and you have that anxiety, I go back to those three things. Are you meditating? Are you moving your body? And are you eating whole foods? Because nine out of 10 times, they're not doing any of those. We're leaning toward those sugary foods. The sugary foods bring on that stress and anxiety. Not moving your body is not going to help you calm, ground, not going to help you sleep which then feeds into a, a whole other cycle. And then we have, if you're not sitting and quietly and handling the stress that's around you, then we're just stuffing it down. We're not, we're not handling these things. So you can see how taking responsibility by doing those three things can really alleviate so many medications. Yeah. Um, but it's easier to get a medication to handle those things than to do those three things exercise every day you want me to move my body 30 a minimum of 30 minutes every single day yeah eat whole foods instead of something from the fast food yeah eat something that comes in its true form mm -hmm. and then yeah would it be so bad to sit quietly for five minutes maybe in the morning five minutes at night yeah those three things will i see wondrous results when women do those three things Oh, definitely. And because I think too, we've just got, we, you know, the medical, the pharmaceutical side of things, you know, we push pills. Yes. So, and now it, it used to be where they would just come in and push them at us on our side. Okay. To get them out to the public. But now the shift is now they put it on TV yeah. and, it's, and it's everywhere. So they're, they're pushing it to the consumer so that the consumer comes into the office asking for these things. That's right. And I'm like, you know, and then they conveniently put all this, all the side effects or not side effects. They tell you like all these things and they come in, Oh, I have all these things. So I must need the medication. I'm like, well, okay, let's back up a minute. Let's see here first because every medication has its own side effects. And then you get yeah. those things and then it's another medication for that. But it's so easy that people just become brainwashed to go, That's right. I need a pill. And we're taught, you know, Western medicine it becomes the norm. Yes. It becomes the norm, which is what I was saying. I like being in my bubble because I, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm with you. I like being in my bubble because some of these things I hear and I'm like, oh, it could cause brain tumor. I'm like, uh, no, I would, I really want to take that. But you know, it's all in perspective too, you know, That's so right. it's all good things. So I also, okay. So I know this is a sad subject because I read on your Instagram, you know, that you recently lost Zoe. So I don't want to go there. I'm not going to say it too much, but I know that that's how your cancer you found and detected your yes. cancer. Yeah. So talk to me. I want to move into, you know, into that when you found out about having cancer. And I especially really want to hear from you because I just, it so resonated to me in your book. You wrote that you became the CEO of your own healthcare plan. 
Yeah. It's about a board of directors. And I mean, my God, women need to hear that because I tell people you need to be your own best self-care advocate. So yeah. I want to hear about what that journey was like for you and all around that. So I uh, used to go to the doctor every year around my birthday and I would get my annual physical and then I'd go to my OBGYN and do my breast exam, you know, like the formal breast exam and the, um, you know, pap smear. I, I used to be really regular about that. And I went in in November and he did my exam and he did my breast exam and everything came out fine. And I was walking out the door and he said, here's your prescription for your next mammogram. And I said, you know what, can you give me a prescription for the sonogram too? Because last time when I went for my baseline, I had to go back because I had dense breasts. And he said, sure. And he wrote me out the two prescriptions and I headed out the door. And since it was November with the holidays coming up, it was on my list to go in in January post holidays. And in that time, between that November and January, I was laying down on the couch, which I never ever do as a mother of three small kids. I was laying down lengthwise with my hands behind my head on a pillow and my little dog Zoe came up to me and started pawing at my, the upper part of my left hand breast. And it was enough and it was, it was almost like a movie, like it was, it was surreal. It was like I pushed her away and like little alarms were going off in my head. Like, what was she touching? And I started palpating and I found um, a little lump, but it didn't alert me because it felt, I had breastfed my three kids and to me it felt like a clogged milk duct. Although I wasn't breastfeeding any children, it had been a number of years since my last child was breastfed, but that's what it felt like to me. And I'm the healthy girl. So like nothing big went off in my head with this. I mean, I had it in my head, but it wasn't like, oh my God. And then I went in for my mammogram. Mammogram came back fine. The technician came out. She's like, all clear. Now let's go in for the sonogram. And the second I laid down on the sonogram table and she put the wand to my breast and she said, uh, are you aware that you have a lump here? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, why didn't you say anything? And I said, well, I thought if it was something that was important, you would find it. And it kind of snowballed immediately from then. The radiologist came in and said, I don't, I'm very concerned about this lump. Um, I want you to come back and we're going to do uh, a lump, you know, uh, go in and we're going to take a tissue sample of it. And Again, I was not worried. I had known so many friends that this has happened to mm -hmm. that it still didn't occur to me that this could be something serious. So much so that I went by myself to the next visit to get that procedure done by myself, only to realize like this was a big to do. Like this wasn't something that was, you know, uh, just a wand over my chest. This was like real, you know, partial surgery where they numb the area and then take out a tissue sample. And then it was, um, I think less than a week after that, that my OBGYN called me and he said to me, Christine, I hate to tell you this, but you have, and I like this term, um, you have a garden variety breast cancer. Like we're not concerned. Like it's, 
you know, it's very, you, you don't have any indication that this is something big and serious, but we need to, you know, we need to move accordingly. So that's like when I went into like, okay, like, what do I need to do? Like, what do I need to say? I don't even know what to say when I call a doctor's office. Who do I even go to? I didn't even know what the next steps were. Yeah. And that's kind of like where I'm t I took the book. Like it reads like a diary and then it, you know, has the, the help, the self-help section in the back. But the, I needed to know what's the line? What, how do I open up a line at a doctor's office? Who do I go to? Do I go to an oncologist? Do I go to a breast surgeon? So that's where I started. I started interviewing. Um, I wound up interviewing six or seven, um, I couldn't even remember anymore, surgeons, breast surgeons. And what I did was I put together a list of questions to ask each one of the surgeons. And I brought my friend Mary along with me because my husband couldn't come with me. I needed for him to save those days until I really needed him. And Mary and I would go into each doctor's office. And it was so nice having a friend there with me so that I wasn't, I mean, of course I was stressed and there was anxiety, but it was it was nice having a friend there with me to go over those questions because the second I got into that office and you're in the gown, you know, I'm a smart woman and I still couldn't think straight. So not only am I dealing with cancer, but I'm sitting in this gown and they're touching my breast. Like, you know, all my thoughts went out the window. So we'd have these cards, we'd have these index cards with us and we'd ask questions. And, you know, I was interviewing more than just the doctor. I was interviewing the office. Was it someplace that I felt comfortable in? Was it someplace that I was waiting for three plus hours? Which is so true. So many, you know, doctor's offices we'd go to, the wait would be forever. And, um, you know, I, I found one that I really liked. And, um, you know, we talked about the surgery. We talked about the next steps. And then it kind of just went from there. But I would consult with my friend Mary, who is a nurse practitioner. I had my husband. I, you know, would do the research myself. Like there were a lot of people that, um, I say a lot, but it wasn't really. It was a core group of people. It wasn't like just my, the girls I played tennis with. No, it was like a core group of people that I really wanted to bounce ideas off with. Um, it wasn't like just the doctor saying, this is what has to happen because you fit in this category. And I really, I really respect every doctor that I was with. It wasn't like I was trying to, you know, enlighten them of what was going on in the world beyond what they do. I would, um, you know, listen to what they had to say because it was their job every day to save as many women, as many people that come into their office. You know, my oncologist sees a hundred people per day and his job is to keep all those a hundred people alive. And if what he knows is, you know, a surgery, chemo, radiation, you know, and he sees results from that, then that's all he's going to talk about. Right. So it was taking that information that doctors would give me and then making my own decision as to what my next steps were. And, you know, that's where that CEO, that's where that coming from a place of power of making my own decisions. Now, let me just say, it wasn't easy. It's not easy, um, you know, saying yes to a doctor, saying no to a doctor, doing your own kind of thing. Um, it's having faith. It's, it's, it's surrendering. It's a leap of faith. And then it's, you know, tracking things differently. You know, um, I don't always go in for the, 
the same um, you know, breast cancer tests that every oncology patient does. No, I follow different kinds of blood work now with a functional medicine doctor. You know, my, my treatment and follow-up looks very different because that's how I chose to follow up. Me going to the oncologist office to do those follow-ups just was not something positive. So instead, I found a way to handle my own health in a, in, a, in a different way by seeking out a functional medicine doctor where we look at hormones and we look at blood work and we look at inflammation. We look at a lot of different things, a lot of different pieces to the puzzle instead of just cancer. Yeah. And that has been really helpful for me. Um, it helps with anxiety. It helps with fear. It helps with me being a whole person instead of just one part of me that's being looked at. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's worked for me. That's worked for a lot for me. Yeah, no, I, I love like Cancer Treatment Centers of America, places like where they look at the whole person too, because my mom had breast cancer and so did my aunt. And when my mom was going through this, I helped navigate her through the process as well. And you do, you know, you said it so important, like I tell ladies, you need to take somebody else with you because so they can hear it from a different perspective because you're in that cancer state of yeah. mind. And you hear things very differently when you've got the diagnosis versus when you don't. And you can take diligent notes for the person that, that you're there with, and then you can go over it later. It's, That's right. It's good for support. Um, another thing that I want to reiterate too, and I tell patients this too, you know, interview different people. If you do not, if you are not happy with the provider that you have, then change. Nobody says that you have to stick with that particular one. You yeah, know? people forget that. Like that was just innate in me to interview as many doctors because this person's going to be with me for a good long while. Yeah. So I want to be comfortable in that office. And I absolutely love my surgeon. Um, but like I said, I did my due diligence. I found the person that I really liked, that I wanted that relationship with, that listened to what I had to say. Um, I think that that's really important. I think so many people just think just because they have the white coat on that they're the one for me. But it, you know, there's, it doesn't have to be. You're allowed to interview and be with a practice that you really like because yeah. that's going to help you thrive. It's only going to help you be in a practice that you feel comfortable being at. Yeah. And you, and it's only, and it's, I tell, and it's just like you said, if you're with somebody, you need to, you want to respect what they're saying and you want to be able to feel comfortable saying how you feel and have somebody look at both perspectives because, you know, I look at myself that I'm only 50% of the equation. You're the other 50% and we have to come together because if what I'm recommending is something that is totally off your realm and you're not going to do it, it doesn't matter what I say. Exactly. Um, and if I tell you to take this pill and you feel uncomfortable taking it, you're never going to take it. So let's look at this from a, you know, from a holistic and from a combination Point of view to figure out what's good for you and also just like you said too i want to reiterate you know that every woman is different and everybody's journey of what they're going to do and what they don't want to do is different but you also came at it i, I read and i love this too kind of like i because i love suzanne summers too and i you know in her journey you know she in, instinctively you, you listen to your instincts and you knew that this is what you wanted and this isn't what you didn't want like i you didn't want to do the chemo really and then you did that other, you took the other stuff. That's I want right. to talk about that too, the IPT. I was reading mm -hmm. about that too. Um, just like, like Suzanne Summer, she said, you know, I looked and sought out other treatments and this may not be for you, but this is what I'm going to do. And I think in, it's in that ownership of no matter what it is that helps you to that healing state and helps That's you right. move there. So you just said it before. Some, my oncologist would have told me 
that if I did this chemo, that there was a 99% chance that I would not have, that cancer would not return. I could not do it. It would have been negate for me. It would have been, it would have been like, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't surrender to it. It just, I couldn't do it. Like it, that's what I'm trying to say. Like it wouldn't have mattered what he was telling me. I couldn't wrap my head around it. It just, it was such, um, it was something that I couldn't, um, I couldn't say yes to. So instead of that, we did, um, my husband and I investigated um, some alternative means. And I say alternative, but it's not really alternative. It's still, I did chemotherapy, but it was a low dose chemotherapy. And we did things now, uh, back then, that was over eight years ago that are, have become standard now. And one of the things we did was we had the sample of the tumor that was, I had a lumpectomy. So the breast surgeon that I interviewed, she did the lumpectomy, took out a portion of my breast, um, and the, the actual tumor was then sent to a German lab, which nowadays they're here. But back then we were sent to a German lab and then all the chemotherapy drugs were tested against my specific cancer. And then we were able to make an informed decision as to which are the best cancer drugs for me. Not like the generic, what works best for breast cancer stage 2B, right? It was what works great for Christine Egan. So that made me feel good about, I'm going to do the chemotherapy, but I know these are the specific drugs for me. And I'm going to do it at a lower dosage than I would at my, you know, traditional oncologist. My cancer was, um, you know, like I said, it was a 2B. Um, it was a small uh, lump. The margins were good. Like there were so many good things. I'm young, I'm healthy. Um, I'm willing to make changes in my life. You know, there were lots that went into that. And then I did the radiation. And, you know, originally the radiation, um, even my alternative doctors were like, yeah, you should do the radiation. Now in retrospect, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have. But um, what I didn't do, which was taken off the table for me so I didn't have to make that tamoxifen decision, was I had a blood clot um, from my port. I wound up getting a port put in and... um, I wound up with a, a blood clot and I had to give myself, um, you know, injections every day for blood thinners. Like it was a big to do. And once you have a blood clot, the tamoxifen is taken off the table. Um, so I didn't have to make that decision um, as to whether or not I was going to take that drug for the five years. So instead, you know, I made these huge lifestyle changes and that's what we're monitoring now. We're monitoring, you know, hormones. We're monitoring estrogen hormones. We're monitoring all the ratios of the hormones. We're monitoring all these other things that go on in my body that would be the precursors to um, a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, I, I totally hear you. Because when my mom had, well, my mom had cancer. She had, um, she had a lumpectomy. She did not do chemo because she was, I think at the time, she, I think she was 70 at the time when she got it. So she wasn't, she was well past postmenopausal years and she had taken hormones, but you know, can't say that there's a direct link because of that as well. But um, I remember talking with her doctor and I had her see a friend of mine that was a really renowned surgeon down in Palm Springs. And she said, you know, if I were you, you know, and you were my mom, I would tell you, don't do chemo. You know, you don't, I, I can't say hundred percent that I got everything. Cause that, you know, I just can't do that. 
but I'm, I'm pretty certain, you know, we got most of it and chemo at your age, you know, it would be yeah. hard and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, she'd have to move in with me, take care of it. Not that I wasn't willing to do that. So we opted to go, she went radiation route. So she did that. And we did whole, we did whole food supplementation through, mm -hmm. through that process as well. And then afterwards they wanted her to be on, on the tamoxifen, but she had, she just couldn't tolerate it. She's, her system is very sensitive. So I know that you mentioned like things like we did dim mm -hmm. and I mentioned that in your book too. So we looked, we did that. We monitor her stuff like you did too. So, and you know, and she did great with it. I'm not saying that that's, you know, what everybody needs to do. But, you know, she made the choice and I, and I helped her and I made it with her. I said, mom, you know, this medicine, look at all the side effects. You're not tolerating it really well. And let's look at the risk versus the benefits and let's yeah. all, what are alternatives we can do. You know, let me just interject there. I see thousands of women who, and I remind them of this. Just because you say yes to something now doesn't mean that you can't say no to it. Yeah. And the same for saying no to something doesn't mean that you're going to, you can't change your mind and say yes. So if you're on tamoxifen, right, because it was automatically, you know, prescribed to you, but you are having horrific side effects, then why not go off it for a little bit? And then you could go back on. It doesn't mean nothing is black and white is what I'm trying to say. Just because you said yes to, you know, 10 treatments of chemotherapy doesn't mean that you have to do all 10. Maybe you get to five and you're like, you know what? I am done. I'm going to have to have faith that the five I did is good enough. Or maybe you're cruising along and the 10 is okay. You always have the choice to say yes or no regardless of what you're working on. The same for me. Right now, I'm in that, I'd like to say the alternative world. It's not the alternative world. It just means a non-medicated world. That doesn't mean that I'm going to say no to drugs forever. It just means no, right now, I don't need them. I'm taking full responsibility to every single thing that's going into my body, onto my body, in my head, like there's so much that goes into what I'm doing now, as opposed to just taking a pill. So one is not right. One is not wrong. One is not forever. There's, it's fluid. Absolutely. And Absolutely. You, like health is not a, health is a journey. It's not a destination. Yes. So right now, this is what my health journey looks like. For many of my women post-cancer, their journey looks like, taking that tamoxifen until they make a decision, I don't want to take it, or I'm okay with it. There are no side effects. Like they're working on so many other things. They're working on their mindset. They're working on letting go of fear. They're working on what self-care looks like. They're, they're tuning into what are the things that make me feel happy and joyful and how can I do more of them so that we crowd out the fear of cancer coming back. We're working on what it means to have abundance. So many women feel as though because they've had cancer and now they no longer do, like their, their abundance, their good luck has run out. No, it doesn't work like that. So we work on mindset of how we can change our thoughts so that we can you know, keep giving ourselves those self-loves and feel healthy in return. No, it, it, you, you, you hit it on the nail on the head. It, it's mindset. And it has to do with that in every aspect. Um, and you said fear too. Uh, so much of us live in that, in that fear space from, from whatever, you know, and we know that fear is, you know, fear is things, uh, false evidence appearing real. Mm -hmm. Whether it's stuff that we put on ourselves, stuff that we've let other people put on us, how we see ourselves through other people's glasses. 
And you know, that word cancer is always scary, no matter, no matter what, and people hear it. And I think that we, we've come to in, in our society, we're, such, we're so afraid of a lot of things because I get people every day, you know, any little ache or pain, everybody thinks that they have cancer. Yeah. So they have a stomach ache, they think they have pancreatic cancer. They have this, it's, they go to like the, the zebras way out there. And I say, no, come back, let's look at the horses first. And they conjure up and then people go on Google, as you know, and they start researching all this stuff. And I had this, it's so funny, I have to tell you, I had a patient, she called up and she said, well, I was looking at my lab results and I looked it up on Google and it says on Google that I have cancer. And I'm like, well, first of all, Google is not a medical provider. I said, and if you, you know, I'm just thinking in my head, you know, just, I, I'm coming back with so many things, but you can't say them all. And I'm like, no, you're allowed to have numbers this way and that way of the range. Okay. That's, that's right. Flat number. Okay. So you can be up or down, just like in your health, there's room for, for up and down. And that doesn't mean that you have cancer. So, you know, don't freak out, but they, I, I get them when they come in, they're already on the ceiling that I have to peel off. Yes. And I think, you know, even if you do have a disease, cancer, anything, fibromyalgia, whatever diagnosis you have, I think we need to start experiencing it from a different mindset, like you said, from a positive perspective, because that, that enables us to hear things differently. It helps us to heal differently and faster and yeah. be open to other things. Because like you also said in your, um, in the book, you know, about like Reiki and about Re Reiki, say that wrong, mm -hmm. meditation, all those different things, you know, just bringing joy. I think that women today just aren't so aren't joyful enough. I know I can honestly say, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here telling myself, you know, I'm learning to be more joyful in my life because I'm like you, I just turned 50 something recently. And I'm like, I need to be happy now. You know, I've spent all this time making other people well and doing things for everybody else. Now it's my turn for self-care. I should have, you know, I've been doing it all along, but I really need to find that joy because, you know, what makes me happy? And it's, not, right. and it's not necessarily, I'll say this honestly, it's not necessarily always helping everybody else find their happiness, you know, it's about me just like shutting down and, and making boundaries and saying, you know, no, I'm not going to do this now. And that's so empowering. And I think that women need to understand that. And even in disease, like you said, there's an empowerment. Yeah, there is. You know, there's, you can always be a victim, right? In this, any situation, it, you could be a victim sitting in traffic. You can be a victim with a diagnosis, but it's up to you to be in that creator mode of how am I going to make this better? And sometimes, you know, it's not easy, especially when it's something scary, it's a big diagnosis, like how to be in creative mode. Being in creative mode might mean having a friend with you. It yeah. might mean asking a question instead of just assuming um, your doctor has all the answers, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think for so many women, they just lose touch with what it means to feel healthy and happy. And honestly, that's really what it comes down to. And I think so many women post-cancer um, are scrambling because they are afraid that it's going to come back. So it's like, how do I do this right so it doesn't come back? Um, missing the point of like, let's tune into how you're feeling now and how can you make you feel better? Like, I wish I could guarantee that cancer is not going to come back. I can't, nobody can. So let's figure out what we could do right now to make you feel healthy. Does that mean going for a walk? Does that mean being alone? Does that mean hanging out with your friends? Does it mean watching a comedy? Like you need to tune into the things that 
fill you up. Yeah, definitely. And then also, you know, talk to me about, you said too, because I have a really dear, dear friend who is um, going through breast cancer and now she has ovarian cancer. But you talked about that you can't, you, you, I guess what I was trying to, my train of thought is you wanted to know, you know, what were, was the cause? You know, did I cause this? You know, was it, I, did I do this? Did I not do this? You know, why do I have this? And then you just kind of, you know, you get, you got to a place where you just said, you know, I, I may never know why I got this. I probably won't. But how did you, you know, come into that knowledge, that space, and then be able to move forward in that? Yeah. So I have a line that really resonates with women with cancer that, you know, I never know what gave me cancer and I don't know what cured me of cancer, right? I don't know if it was the surgery, the alternative chemo, the radiation, the dietary changes, the mindset, like we never know because it's not isolated like that. The same for, we don't know what gave me cancer. Was it the water? I don't know. There's a cluster here of cancer patients. I don't know if it was the water. I mean, you, you just don't know. Like, I just don't think it was one thing, right? It's just a multitude of things. It's a multitude of things that got me sick and it's a multitude of things that got me well. And we'll just, we'll never know what it was but I know what is working and that's where I'm going to pay attention. I know that my changing my stress level is huge. And that is the number one thing for all my women post-cancer is changing that stress level. And I think that played a huge role in my diagnosis is my stress level. And now I have so many other people helping me hold me accountable for what's to not getting to that stress level. My kids are great at that. My husband's great at that. We know where my anxieties are. We know I have to get to the airport two hours before the plane because I'm so um, anxious about it. So yeah. I'm going to admit that. What am I going to do? I'm going to get there early. Um, I get anxious when the kids are out late at night. So how do we mitigate that? We text. Um, I'm anxious when, you know, one of the kids leaves for college. So what are we going to do to handle that so that mom isn't anxiety ridden over that, right? So it's like naming it and then coming up with a solution for it. So yeah, I have anxiety, big freaking deal. How, what am I going to do to handle that so that it doesn't leave me upset and doesn't stay inside my body? No, definitely. I agree with that. It's, it's identifying it and then putting steps in to move past it. Cause we all yeah. have, we all have our stuff, you know, every one of us. And so I think, like you said, I tell all my women too, and even myself, you know, you need to look in the mirror and first say to yourself, okay, I have these things and it's okay. So now let's, how are we going to move over it? Because yeah. identifying is the number one thing to getting past it. You know, when we don't identify it, we stay in it, then we never get over it. So I, I totally love that. Now, next, I want to move into, um, talk to me about, there's a chapter two about sex and your breast. So after, you know, post-cancer treatment, post-cancer, you know, talk about, about the intimacy factor here, because a lot of women yeah. feel that way too. Yeah. Um, yeah, sex is such a big topic that nobody wants to talk about. And again, I went from that victim mode to creator mode where I describe in my book, when I came home from the hospital, nobody told me that the breast that I had surgery on was going to be enlarged. Like I just assumed that since part of it was cut off, that it was going to be smaller, not bigger. Like it was all inflamed obviously. And you know, there was so much trauma going on with the surgery. 
that this left breast was like all engorged, like back to the breastfeeding days after the kids were born. And then this right breast was like this little tiny thing. And I, I just, no one had told me that. So instead of feeling so awkward and uncomfortable about that feeling, I embraced it. It was like trying to lean into like this big swollen breast. And I know that I, it was like this when my breastfed and I know it'll go down. And it was just surrendering to that feeling of feeling ugly or unattractive or unsexy. And that kind of spilled over into like, I, the, the best example I can give is like my underwear drawer and the nightgown drawer. It was like, how many ripped underwear was I holding on to? Like, <laughs> why? Like, why? Why would I not want to feel my best every single day? And then that, it, it became like this snowball effect. It was finding things that made me feel pretty. It was saying yes to things that made me feel good instead of no to things. So the sex thing kind of just went along with that. It was like, why would I deny myself something that I know is going to make me feel good? Now, yeah. it doesn't always mean that I was always in the mood at like a 10. It was like, yes, it was more <laughs> like, no, I'm at a three, but I know how important it is for me to be at a 10. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then the other part to the whole saying yes more often was, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was waiting to, I was so afraid that I was going to be so sick for so long that I just wanted to have sex and be intimate now while I could. Yeah. Because I knew there was going to be a time that I just couldn't. So why not say yes now? That was really the mindset behind it. And, you know, there were so many medical things going on with my body, whether it was being poked or prodded for blood or given injections or doing some scan or healing from some surgery, um, that it was nice to remember that my body can give me pleasure mm -hmm. as well. And I really clung to that. Um, idea. And I, I really made it a priority to feel good, even though, even though all this horrific stuff was going on, I was determined to feel good. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, too. You know, we all have stuff that we go through. And just finding those small little things that, you know, that make us feel different it doesn't have to be a big shift, you know, pretty underwear, pretty bra, and living in the moment. I think for me and for a lot of women, too, I think we always put off, oh, someday, we'll do that someday, you know. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know if someday is going to happen. That's right. It's like you said, you know, making the most of today and, you know, and capturing it today and doing the things that we want to today. I mean, we can't do everything, but, you know, the small things too are, are awesome. So, yeah. So next, I want to know about your, you have in your, the, your life after cancer, you know, your staying healthy guide. I read through that. So it resonates totally with my perspective. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about that too. Um, well, I take a, you know, a base group of supplements every day. I attempt to get my greens in every day. Some days are easier than others. Um, I eat a whole food diet. Um, I eat a lot less meat than I was before. I am still a meat eater. Um, you know, it's, it's like a work in progress. You know, would I love to be a vegan and not have any dairy? Yes. Am I eating less? Yes. Am I at perfection? No. Like, it just doesn't exist. Um, but that's not what I'm going for. You know, it's summertime. 
there's ice cream. Do I have ice cream? Yes. Do I eat it often? No. But it's all in, in moderation is what I'm trying to say. You know, it's not, I'd rather think of myself as having that ice cream and truly enjoying that ice cream instead of eating it and be like, oh my God, this is so good, but it's so bad for me. No, it doesn't work like that. And, you know, I say that to women, you know, I live in New York where pizza is like the number one thing, right? Yeah. And everyone's like, pizza, pizza, pizza. Well, you know what my thing is about pizza or ice cream or desserts is if you're going to eat it, make sure it's the best. Don't eat that cold slice that was left out. Don't eat off your kid's dish because it's there. Don't eat that, you know, cupcake that came in that wrapper. Like if you're going to have a cupcake, get it from the bakery. Yeah. Eat it with intention. Don't just eat it mindfully. Like it's, it's not all or nothing. It's, it's doing the things with true intention and true joy. Maybe eating that piece of pizza, maybe you get that joy after a few bites and you realize, ah, eh, I don't need the whole slice. Maybe I just need a few bites. The same for the cupcake. Maybe it's just a couple of pieces of it instead of a couple of bites of it instead of just the whole thing. It just, when you take that pressure off of good or bad, and you yeah. focus on the joy and you really tune into what is making me happy right now, then we could say yes or no to completing it. Definitely. I, I'm with you. Um, and then the exercise has become a really big part of my life. That um, is a big shift. And, and then the whole stress and the, and I've really reworked what stress looks like in my life. And I've really slowed down and tuned into the things that make me feel happy. And like I said to you earlier, when we were talking, yes, I missed my yoga class. And I was like, because we were together as a family, like that's way more important, important to me than anything. And I'm okay saying that and then following through on it. Yeah, I hear you. I, it's just like you said, it's, it's a balance. And some things are going to make it, some things aren't with intention. That's and it, right. And it doesn't mean that if you don't get to the gym today, that it's a bad thing. Or if, That's you don't, right. if you don't do this, because you did something else that was important to you at that particular time. And if it was important to you, then you need to take care of it. And that's just day, you know, days just happen. You know, we all juggle lots of balls in the air. And yeah. some, of them, some of them have to fall because yep. you can't get to all of them. So that's we, right. We know that, that goes back to my whole idea of that buffet. Like, I know I'm going to get one of these in today, and that's all that matters. Maybe there'll be some more, but for today, this is all I ha can have room for on my plate. Yeah, and I, and I, and I like it about part of your self-care was meditating, because I've just recently, like over the last six months, have really been trying to get in there and do more meditation. I've been studying it, and just, am I really, am I great at it? No, I still have to kind of work at it. It doesn't come exactly like I sit there and go off into that zone Zen land yet. Uh -huh. but, you know, I have like I tell people because it's it's our it's our monthly membership. Um, going to be next month is all about meditation, and I have this app and I have it set for ten minutes, and I just sit and I listen to meditate for ten minutes. And like that's hey, awesome. Ten minutes is good for me. The um the app that I highly recommend for meditation. Can I share it? Or, yeah, absolutely. Oh, is called um Insight Timer. Okay. Um, there's a bunch of them, there's Headspace, but Insight Timer, I think is the easiest one to navigate. And most of the women that um, I, I do workshops, I, I'll always recommend that one. And I get good feedback from them as well. Insight Timer. And it has everything from guided meditations to music, to just a timer, uh, to bells, to everything in between. Well, that's cool. See I, that, see, I should have known that before I put my the podcast stuff together or the app. 
Well, you can put it in the notes. We could add that. You can add that in the notes. Yeah, because I do. I just I listen to Simple Habits, and, uh -huh. then I have, and then I have one online that I do. It's a it's a Christian one for me. It's abide, and I listen to that too, and just kind of get out of my space because it's on my computer, and I can. Uh -huh. It's going to spend ten minutes doing this. They're not long, so you can do it, and you can work into it. But it does. I find that after you do it for like even ten minutes, your your mind is clear, and I can kind of focus on the things that I need to focus on. And it's really been helping me. So yeah, that you know. I think the whole part about that meditation is that it helps you do the things that you want to do, but you're not accomplishing. Yeah. So it's like when we were talking about the buffet line, right? And it's like, I want to eat a good breakfast. I want to have a homemade meal and I want to be able to prep my dinner. Right. And you're like, I can't do it. I've been failing at it for years. Well, I can't figure out what makes it work. Well, you know what? I urge you to meditate for two weeks for a minimum of eight minutes in the morning and let's see if that can shift. And for the most part, it does. Because when we give ourselves that time, then things just become a little bit clearer of how we can accomplish the things that we really want to do. Yeah. I just find because I'm so busy and I'm like, I've got so many things on my mind. Sometimes I'm going too fast and I don't accomplish anything that way. So when I meditate, I kind of go, okay, I get a clear perspective. That's not so important. Let's just focus on this because I got a lot going on and I just, you know, yeah, it's a challenge, but you know, it's something that I, for me, I'm willing to work on it because I want to feel that in my life, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. So it's kind of cool. So um, ending here, I just want to know, tell everybody where they can find you and tell us like, if you want us, you know, the link for your books, I'm going to put that in the show notes to uh -huh. the book. And then I know, you know, let's everybody, I always tell everybody out there who's listening, follow her on, on Instagram. She'll tell you where you can find her on Instagram. You know, uh -huh. it helps us all people to just to share each other. And especially as women, you know, how important it is and how I feel about getting the word out about women who are doing great things in the world out there and we need to help each other. So you can find me, my website is redefining healthy.com. Redefining healthy came out from um, talking about the book and so many women talk we, we just said it before about like i'm going to get healthy when i'm going to get healthy when my kids go off to school i'm going to get healthy when i quit my job i'm going to get healthy when i'm finished with cancer no you can feel healthy right now no yeah. matter what is going on so that's how that came out so it's redefining and then a dash healthy and then on that website are all my social media links the link to facebook the link to instagram um, Christine Egan, I think is who I am on Instagram. I, that's who I am, Christine Egan. Um, and then on Facebook, I'm Christine Walsh Egan, or there is an author page, Christine Egan. Um, but yeah, I, if you uh, go to the website and sign up, there's a whole, uh, you get recipes and all that other good stuff from me and some audio samples of my book. And the book, of course, is at all those regular book places, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, there's the audiobook, the Kindle version, the regular version. They're all available. Well, cool. Thank you. And normally I ask all of our guests, you know, to tell us about their self-care, but we've been talking about your self-care. as a yes. thing. So I'm going to have you answer the question. I want you to answer for us. Give us some words of wisdom that you would say to women who are on a cancer journey, who either just got the diagnosis, you know, are going through it or maybe afterwards, some, you know, some piece of advice, what would you, what would you tell them? I would, I would ask them to make a list, like we were talking about earlier about that buffet line. What are the things that go on that make you feel healthy and happy? 
and refer to that list, stick it up in the bathroom, stick it up in the kitchen, have that list accessible so that you know what it is and your family knows what it is, your friends know what it is, what you need in order to make yourself feel healthy and then just do more of them. No, I hear you. That's so awesome. Well, Christine, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And then also we're going to be airing this on our YouTube channel. So if you can either listen to it or you can watch it, we'll put all the notes up on our um, podcast page so you can get in contact with Christine and we'll talk to you in the next episode. Yes, it was lovely. Thank Thank you. you. Yep. Have a blessed day, everybody. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.